Hello and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bow, clinical psychologist and coach, mother of two traumatic births myself. This podcast is all about helping the helpers, supporting the supporters and training birth workers to feel connected and confident to navigate birth trauma. A huge part of what I do is to uplift wounded healers and I know that there are so many of you. So I honour you for making some time for yourself right now. This podcast is also available in video format in places where people have said yes, you can see me as well as hear me. This is a new thing I'm trying. I like seeing faces, even if it means I have to get out of my pyjamas. So head on over to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Erin Bow. And before we start, if you've been enjoying this podcast and you're listening on iTunes right now, which I know a lot of you are, can you hit pause for a second and leave me a super quick review? I really want these stories and support and messages of hope and growth to reach as many people who are interested in birth as possible. That's it. Reviews help the algorithm and then it gets shown to more people. It helps. And there's no money in it for me. This podcast is just my, you know, gift to you (laughs) and for me to have some, you know, temporary time out of mum life to talk to other grown-ups to, you know, bypass small talk conversation and get to really good juicy stuff, which I love. And I so, so, so value your support. It really keeps me going. And I love stories. This is why I do what I do. This is why I do this podcast. Sharing stories can be such soul medicine. And I really do believe that as healers and helpers, we cannot walk this path alone. We need support. We need a sounding board and a circle, either a physical one or a metaphorical one for storytelling. Storytelling is so important. I would say that my guest today is like birth worker royalty, except that royalty typically represents a patriarchal system, and she'd hate that. (laughs) Instead, I will introduce her as a wild willful, wise woman, a goddess, a guru, the divine, Jane Hardwick Collins. Often the best way to move forward on a path is to ask the wisdom of those coming back. Jane and I talk about the concept of fish can't see water. The fish, of course, being birth workers in a patriarchal birthing system. Jane is a women's mysteries teacher. She began work as a midwife in the early 80s. She has seen, heard, touched, smelled and tasted trauma in the birth space in probably just about every facet imaginable. Jane is a visionary and I know that so many of the messages that she shares today will feel like she is giving you a direct call to action. There's no way forward for a midwife who wants to just be a good girl. Many of us are still operating from a fear of persecution. Except instead of worrying about being burned and drowned, we worry about APRA complaints. You are more powerful than you know. If we can rewild midwives to remember that they and the people they serve are powerful, then we will change the world. 
Welcome, welcome, Jane. How are you? Very well. Thank you, Erin. Thank you for this kind invitation to be ah, here with you. My absolute pleasure. I want to just dive in straight away because there's just so much gold I want to extract. Hopefully, mm -hmm. it lands on me, in me, wherever it's going to go. I'm guessing that before you even thought of birth trauma as a concept that actually came out of your mouth on your lips, you would have smelled, seen, heard, touched, tasted, maybe even a lot of it in your mm. career. Yep, absolutely. And the worst part about that, I felt, was that the women didn't even realise that they were experiencing birth trauma. You know, they were under the impression that, for example, if so-and-so hadn't been there and done such and such, then they'd be dead and their baby would be dead, etc. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that kind of um, you're lucky situation is uh, what's used by uh, people who inadvertently or on purpose, usually not on purpose, but inadvertently due to um, not really uh, acting with compassion and kindness, mm. the trauma that they create is often covered up by, you know, you're lucky I was here sort of situation. So I guess, you know, going back to when my career as a midwife started when I was 25, I, um, you know, what I saw in a big city hospital in Sydney doing my training was so much, um, so much disrespect for women and their babies. Like this is back in the day. I did my uh, midwifery training in 1983-84 and, you know, 1984, it was a bit of a horrific sort of sci-fi situation in terms of like just like that old book. But it was back in the day when the uh, medical profession was saying babies don't feel things, their nerves haven't grown, so we don't need to use uh, anaesthetic local anaesthetic when we do circumcisions and you know so I was one of the student midwives back then what's that 84 to 94 is 30 so 30 nearly 40 years ago is that right yeah um, I was one of the student midwives who was holding a baby down whilst it was being circumcised now like you know yes they go quiet because they're going into shock and they think they're being killed. So, you know, they just be quiet and they just start shutting down, shutting down. Maybe even they go unconscious, who knows? But fortunately that doesn't happen anymore, but that was alive and, and on. And so that level of, um, no, you know, not even understanding physiology actually and doing outrageous things to babies, like, can you imagine the held trauma that so many men have from enduring that experience. Mm, I know. I think that, about just how, like, tension in my own body, even when you talk about it. So then to actually have had your physical body disrespected and handled. Mm, it, yeah, it lasts forever. Mm. And so in terms of how the mothers were being treated, like... It was like, and it, like it hasn't changed much. In some places it's better, in some places it's worse. 
it's like a production line and um, it's organ the, the treatment of in women having babies in hospital is organized around the institution and the practitioners, not the women, you know, like, hello, it's mm. ridiculous. One of the things that I make sure that I really reinforce to the women coming to my pregnancy workshops, the shamanic dimensions of pregnancy, one day workshops that I do around the place is to remember that as a birthing woman, you are actually employing everybody else. Like they're working for you. Yeah. And so you have the right, and this is, I put up a social media post just recently in my Waking the Witches campaign about this very fact that, yeah. that women, if they don't like the midwife or the doctor, if the midwife or doctor is not being kind or compassionate or gentle, then to ask for a replacement, that that is fully their right, mm. and to make a complaint so that the people can learn. Because it's not what happens all the time that kindness and gentleness is present in birth. And it, it, it absolutely must be. That must be the priority. Like, regardless of what has to happen, intervention, etc., it can still be done kindly and gently. And that's often not the case. And the practitioners, the professionals in the system, so often don't get to hear that level of feedback that they really need so they can modify the way that they are with with the women, you know, even the language. I was going to say with their patience, right? Now, <laughs> patient is just such not the right word to use for a birthing mother, but it does actually have a massive effect in terms of putting them in their place. You know, a patient is under a doctor yeah. where that setup is really not the way it needs to be or should be in, in the maternity care situation. It's so true. I've um, often spent time talking to well, clients, I wouldn't say patients, but even just friends about this idea of, you know, you see women go into battle for things like, hang on, that contract on that rental agreement's not quite right. Hang on, like my cup of coffee is not quite the way I want it. And yet when it comes to the most important sacred thing in their life, like, oh, no, I can't say anything. I can't say anything. I better just shut up and not. Playing, you just think, yeah, how easily we are conditioned to, yeah, of course, something's not right with your food. You complain. Something's not right on a contract. You get the wrong change. You say something. Some people do struggle with that too, of course. I think that's part of the whole assertiveness thing that a lot of women struggle with. But birth, oh, no, you don't touch that. You don't talk about it. Because we're so under the, under the patriarchal spell, you know, like so... And, and this whole idea that the doctor is the closest thing to God and whatever they say must go, etc. And, you know, we give great thanks for the medical practitioners and the specialists, especially in obstetrics, mm. when we need it. But unfortunately, the way the situation is that so much unnecessary intervention and um, that's the problem. But the thing onto what you said, you know, why don't women actually stand up for themselves in labour, etc., is because, or even afterwards, because we are so vulnerable in that space. We, the last thing we are actually capable of in labour is to go into battle. Yeah. And um, that's so often what um, 
would be would serve the situation but obviously the mother cannot do that like women will only labor and give birth when they feel safe mm. or unless their body is being forced to do it by artificial hormones or or other techniques so the last thing we want our, our mums to have to be even thinking about is that they have to stand up for their rights or that they have to uh, defend their um, even their cultural beliefs. Yeah. So it's just so round the wrong way. However, <clears throat> so much does happen um, with birth trauma that uh, eventually it seems that a lot of women kind of awaken to, to the fact that what happened, you know, either wasn't right or um, could have happened in a different way or actually didn't need to happen at all. And in my work, we call that um, a shamanic uh, shadow awakening. Mm -hmm. So a shadow awakening is when somebody sort of realises when something went wrong that um, it's caused them to question, why did that happen to me? Mm. So when someone asks of an experience, why did that happen to me? It begins to unravel, particularly if they have enough, um, if, they, if they have uh, helpful guidance around it. So somebody who's helping them to not blame themselves for the situation or to really realize, yes, uh, that isn't really the right thing to have happened or whatever. So a shadow awakening, when one asks of a situation, why did that happen? And the most important question, how does this serve? In other words, what does this teach me about myself and the way of things? And then the gold can be mined from the situation and the lessons learned so that it doesn't have to repeat mm -hmm. in, in their lives. Because it seems to happen that uh, we keep doing the same things until we get the point. Yeah. And you know, my, my perspective around birth is that we have the birth that we have in order to teach us what we need to learn about ourselves to take us to the next part of our journey. So it's a soul crafting experience. It's a, it's a teaching. It's actually like a double click on your mindset because I believe that our births reflect our mindset, our beliefs, our attitudes, and our fears. And they also are not just some random event. They are the culmination of our life thus far. Yeah. And, you know, of course, and duh, one thing leads to the next. And rites of passage are where we see transformation take place. Mm -hmm. And so how we were welcomed into womanhood at our menarch, our first period, is the precedent or the prequel say in rites of passages for how we give birth because she who was initiated into womanhood at the altar of menarch complete with all the brainwashing it takes to know how you have to behave as a woman to be accepted in our culture that's the woman that shows up to give birth knowing that all the things like you know you've got to be a good girl you You've got to do what authority tells you. And that's, I believe, where we see so much of the um, silence 
and the uh, disempowerment, both with birthing mothers, but also with midwives, because mm. we are trained from, you know, puberty onwards to be good girls, yeah. to do what's expected of us. Because, you know, if we're not, then we're, we're at threat. And humans, humans have a, a, um, a need to belong. Yeah. And if we don't belong, our, our pri at a primal level, our lives are at, under threat. So we, we do whatever we have to do to belong. And there's so many different terrible examples of what that looks like, including things like survival sex, etc. So whatever we have to do to, to, um, to belong is part of our strategy to survive. So um, what happens at our birthing experiences as, as mothers is like a readout of our journey in this lifetime and likewise for midwives. So midwives um, take to work an agenda. Now, whether they realize it or not, and an agenda is basically what their life has taught them so far about how they have to behave to be either accepted or survive or repeating whatever's been going on in their family. And this is all happening at a subconscious and often unconscious level. But, you know, the lessons we learn or don't learn through our rites of passage set up our story and that plays out in our other rites of passage. So, for example, in giving birth, but it also plays out in what I just said, the agenda that we take to work. And that's, that's a lot of what's going on with midwifery. Which makes sense because as you're talking, I'm kind of like imagining all these like bubbles of, oh, this relates to that. Is this how you think about it when you talk about it? Do you think in pictures or are you more wordy? I'm just imagining bubbles of that relates to that and that relates to that. And it's all kind of just tying. Mm. yeah that's it you know it's yeah. everything is linked mm. and and that that's also part of big part of my work when i say the shamanic dimensions of things like shamanic means the interconnectedness of everything mm. so at birth we see what else connects to that and can get some clues or heads up on the likelihood of the effects of that so for example if a woman has been um, not really paying any attention to her menstrual cycle and has been taking, I don't know, Panadol or whatever, so that she can ignore what her body's telling her when she's bleeding, for example, and just carry on regardless, then is it any wonder that come labor, when the body's messages start getting intense and calling her within, She's not used to doing that because she's ignored that in her menstrual cycle, which I believe our menstrual cycle is preparation for birth. Oh, so, yeah, is it any wonder that so much pain relief is used in labour because we're just not used to working with our bodies? We're used to overriding it. Oh. Talk to me how this relates. I've had another thought about midwives' work being at work, a lot of these stories amongst all the bullying and the burnout and everything else, I know something that you'll be really passionate about, is this thread around 
like people not even being able to meet their basic needs. So hearing stories of midwives <laughs> wearing maternity pads when they're not postpartum, obviously, because they're not even finding the time to go to the toilet. Mm. People peeing in a towel when they're, you know, I can't go to the toilet, I don't have time, I don't have time for this. And how that all fits with this, like, yeah, bigger perspective of trauma and underneath the constantly going to work and watching trauma, holding that in your body, but then also just as you're talking about, ignoring your basic bodily needs, living off, you know, a packet of Cadbury roses and a few biscuits and some white bread, getting UTIs so that you can... Maybe not, again, consciously, but I wonder if a lot of workers do this. And not just birth workers, but teachers and anyone who's in any sort of caring profession do this thing where they kind of sabotage and maybe get a UTI so that they can legitimately take time off work. I'm sick. It's okay. I'm sick. Whereas if you said, I'm having periods, I'm having uncomfortable periods, I'm having whatever it might be that's just your basic needs. No, you can't mention that. That's embarrassing. That's disgusting. That's whatever it might be. Mm. So ridiculous. And like if when we're in um, roles like being a midwife, which is a, a guardian and guide and leader and protectress, Mm. how we care for ourselves is what we're modeling for everybody that we are in the, um, that we are influencing. So, you know, as within, so without. So if we don't look after ourselves, how can we expect anybody to think that that's a thing that should be done for a woman in labor? You know, like if, if, if we don't look after ourselves, we, we're sacrificing ourselves to the system and that is not appropriate. This is a big subject, this whole concept of uh, menopause and menstrual uh, experiences at work. And I'm working with others to introduce this idea of the menstrual and menopause workplace policies where instead of, um, like it's it's not even that we're ignoring the the menstrual cycle, we're actually pretending. And it doesn't happen. Yeah. It's been disappeared. And, you know, they're in like a massive situation and a massive problem to do with that, of course. So um, hospitals need to practice what they're trying to preach, which is yeah. wellness and look after their staff. And menstrual menopause workplace policies would be a wonderful place to start. Mm-hmm. And really, in terms of the midwives and the practitioners, it's up to it's up to their leaders, you know, the bosses on the wards and in the various areas to be making sure that their workers, you know, the, the midwives are eating or are having a sit down or are actually um, working within their physical capabilities. Otherwise, it's dangerous and like so stupid, so stupid. So, um, you know, like the other problem here, of course, is that many people don't even realize the importance of self-care. And this just goes back to like human female or just anyway, human 101, you know, 
how to look after your body. And so often, as, we, as you said, we see in the healing professions, people who don't look after themselves. No. And, the you know, like, oh, that's kind of normal. It's mm. almost like a badge of honour for some people. Yeah. I'm about and it's not. That, that's, part of, that's part of the patriarchal sacrifice situation that needs to change. And remember that, you know, we, we're in a patriarchal culture, but the patriarchy is also within. Mm -hmm. You know, it can't not be. So we've got, we've all got this kind of internal uh, conversation or um, checklist or all manner of measurements of what we're doing based on a patriarchal mindset that mm -hmm. really doesn't value all sorts of things, including the body, including women, including caring for people. So, you know, like step one, listen to what you're telling yourself and figure out whether that's good for life, like healthy, etc., or not, and, and modify your behavior because it's actually everybody's own responsibility to look after themselves. Mm. And I think um, that's a lesson I'm still in and I don't plan to kind of really ever be out of it, so to speak. But it's, if you really catch yourself and what you think about work and what it means to be a good worker, gosh, it's amazing the stuff you catch yourself saying. I've often found myself flitting in and out with that patriarchal voice of men in my life who, much, much older men, who do that, I've never had a sick day in my life. I've never done this and it's sort of tossed around as like that's what a good worker is like someone who's never sick or they are obviously sick but they go into work and make other people sick and that's the kind of thing that little girls and older women being surrounded by you, you subconsciously can start taking some of that stuff on mm. but you've just got to push push through it push past it um I see it on social media so much these days now with men and women about this in order to be like an entrepreneur and have your own business. You've got to like do this X number of times a day and there's lots of smashing and crushing and pushing through and these kind of like adverbs that are like not even, <laughs> I don't know, it's just gotten a bit ridiculous. Mm. And that plays out in the menstrual cycle big time. Mm. And the menstrual cycle is and i don't just mean the bleeding phase i mean the whole however long it is is uh is a spiritual practice which means it reinforces the beliefs that are used and uh underpin the way you care for for it mm -hmm. and so when with so much overriding the menstrual cycle we we see this uh, push through, pretend it's not happening, don't let anyone know. Mm. And that, because the menstrual cycle runs a woman's life, whether she realises it or not, and everybody she, who lives under the same roof as her. Oh, of course. You know, it is the place where we can do so much change for ourselves personally and collectively that will influence birth, mothering, a woman's role in the world, especially will influence menopause and the whole um, second half of our lives. So I really feel, and I came to this realization through lots of learning myself in trying to understand 
as a midwife, because mm. what I saw at, at birth was that I realized it was, it was too late in a woman's life to make any great big mindset changes when she was in labor and birthing, because yeah. in her vulnerability, she goes into her default behaviors. Mm. And so I learned that the time to prepare for birth is probably at your own birth, but definitely through childhood, through the um, normalizing of the birth process, mm. and most definitely at Menarche, because if we can initiate girls into womanhood and then feel like, I'm a woman now, and <laughs> to learn what... You can't see this. Jane's just done a beautiful goddess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm a woman now and that is a really special thing not not a second rate thing it is a really special and important uh role that i need to play in my life as a woman i have so many responsibilities to myself i need to i need to understand the menstrual cycle so i can adjust my life accordingly and i need to work with the cycle and everything that connects with it. So when they, if, when girls start their menstrual story of 40 years or so with mm. that information, when they come to having their babies, there is, there is no way they are going to roll over and say, yes, whatever you reckon. They're going to, they're going to say things to the people who say, I'm the expert here and I know what you need. Somebody who's been practicing conscious menstruation would say to somebody who said, I'm the expert and I know what you need. They would say, how could you possibly be the expert of my body? I am. Thank you for your offer. I will let you know whether that will suit me, mm. etc." So, you know, as a midwife, I realized that preparation for birth needs to happen a long, long, long time before and is all about how... Uh, we are encouraged or not to self-care and flow with the cycle and understand our bodies and especially how our body speaks to us mm. because the deep liminal space of bleeding in the menstrual cycle is an opportunity to understand the wisdom we hold within our wombs mm. and the practices of um, mindfulness and quietness and whatever you need when you're bleeding, as I said before, is preparation for birth because when the, when the pain or the sense, strong sensations or whatever you want to call it happens in labor, it reminds us of what we've experienced potentially each time we've bled in our menstrual cycle. And we know that's an invitation inward to shut out the neocortex, you know, switch that off so we can have our um, mammalian brain look after, help us look after ourselves even more and drop into the reptilian brain where it's an automatic process and we can sit in our womb, so to speak, in a meditative space that we've practiced every time we've bled and then we have a baby. Mm. So I know when women approach birth with this perspective what can happen is that they can have less complications 
and um, therefore less potentially less pain and less not as long length of labor as what happens when when they are disturbed so often so I really think that undisturbed birth which is the aim of the game can be a much more likely scenario if a woman knows undisturbed menstruation that's going to connect some dots for people i can just i hope so and it's like not rocket science (laughs) it's 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 the one thing leads to the next Mm. and the interconnectedness of the experience of our menstrual cycle with birth and the other big connection of course is that birth is a sexual experience Mm. so anything that anybody's got going on that is unresolved about their sexuality shows up at birth and this will include midwives Mm. and we need we all you know midwifery 101 is part of midwifery 101 is to carry on as if not carry on behave as if the woman you're caring for has been sexually abused as a child because like it's one to two or two in three or five women have been sexually abused as children and that seriously impacts how they birth Mm. particularly if they haven't um put a name to it which is a big passion of mine about how we even ask people about this is that you don't just stick it on the form and then come out and go oh yes or no because a lot of people haven't cognitively applied that label to it until their mind subconscious connects to their body and what's happening to their body as being it's sometimes not even a memory it's a oh that's a familiar sensation and it's not a good one it's one that's frightening confusing all sorts of different labels we can put to it but it's yeah for a lot of people it's not even something they've consciously thought hey or it can be that they've done the work and they're kind of like well this is none of your business why are you even asking me this why is this of any relevance i've dealt with that and again it might be parts of it but the nature of trauma is we can't just cut your brain open and go oh yeah we got it all zip it back up and then of course during birth with all similar parts of our bodies being touched or pressure being felt there and and the language just open your legs a little further you know like some women have had that kind of language used in really dodgy situations and it doesn't make them feel safe it makes them clam up and you know oh all of a sudden everything stops or you know that kind of situation you know like i just relax I just relax and how many people have had that or some version of that in their lifetime from somebody who was a perpetrator of some description and we forget how easily we forget to say oh just not just (laughs) yeah relax let go release do all those things yeah it makes so much sense and I think for people who again I just oh yep I'm off to work Here's another birth. Often that can be, figure's not kind of the right word, but it can bring up again a bodily sensation that doesn't feel safe. And then people question, oh, I don't know, I've got this weird niggle. And then they just ignore it, forget about it, suppress it, dump it down. So I'm also similar, all about getting people to go, if you're feeling something in your body, 
while you're mm. attending your birth, pay attention to it. It's you yeah. trying to figure something out. Absolutely, because that's, that's our tool. Our yeah. body is like every other animal on the earth mm -hmm. has all manner of ways that we pick up particularly danger. Mm. And if we don't operate on it, then we're shutting down our survival process. And that's really dumb, mm. apart from anything else, as well as a potential threat. And in, in the role uh, of midwife, if we pick up, say, um, you know, let's say a registrar or a, a specialist saying things in a way to a woman that we know is affecting the woman, in a negative or uh, scary way of any sort, we need to speak up for that, not be thinking, oh, well, they always do that, or, oh, better not say anything because I'll just get spoken about or whatever, whatever. If, if midwives can't stand up for women, then we're doomed. Yeah, yeah, we are. Because if the fear is of what's going to happen to me is so strong, Again, it's like I said, well, why did you go into this work? Why didn't you like go into a lab? Like if you don't fundamentally want to action your compassion for people, for women, for babies, you should be off in a lab or something. You shouldn't be in a helping, healing profession. Mm. And also, um, you know, it's probably one of the areas of work where um, we can be traumatized through experience, you know, being part of witnessing other people's trauma. So vicarious trauma. And that is something that isn't dealt with very well and is ignored and like, well, you know, suck it up or get tough or whatever. We do not want our midwives to suck it up or be tough. We want them to be fully heartful and using their bodies as, the, as their tools and, and being, being like a conduit for, for love and safety. Because if the midwife isn't feeling, isn't giving love and feeling safe and, and safety, then the woman is going to feel like under threat. So we need to really care for midwives. We need, they need to be a, a debrief process in place after every shift. In fact, one of the things that we've been doing for a while through the School of Shamanic Womancraft is offering student midwife support groups, yeah, trying to help the, um, the, mid, the student midwives who leave because they're like, this is fucked, I'm not staying here, yeah. or I can't handle this, or I will not handle this. You know, the ones who leave are the are the kinds of characters that we really need in the profession. So we offer these student midwife support circles to help build resilience and mm. skills to be able to um, understand what they're feeling and do little things in different situations to help it. And we, we are planning on extending this to midwives beyond student midwives, because we know, we know that it is a, it is a job that, is potentially extremely traumatic and oh. then you know then we've got midwives operating from fear and we know we we know so well that fear is an unwelcome visitor in the birth space you know it 
it takes it takes over it's very catchy and it messes with the whole process because women will not give birth if they're fearful mm. i think people think it's they a basic thing yeah and i think people think they can fake through it i remember i think i've told this story before but um with my first birth, after I had a big, big hemorrhage, there was a big internal tear. And at the time, having not worked, I mean, I'm a psychologist, I don't work so much with bodily fluids and stuff, but there was a point at which I remember thinking, that's a lot of blood. Like, that's more than probably what I would expect. And there was sort of, you know, the next wave and the next wave and the kind of, mm, mm, the faces kept staying the same. And I'm kind of like, I can sniff this out. And there was a one midwife who looked at another one and she put her eyebrows up. And after, at this stage, they'd offered me a bit of gas, so I was a little bit more <laughs> quite so um, composed. And I remember saying to her, why are your eyebrows up? And she's like, oh, you know, I'm just, and she made up some story. I'm like, I know. I, said, I think I said to her, you're like, can't fool me. I'm a psychologist. I know. You've put your eyebrows up. What, what, like, what eyebrows up? But she kept on trying to keep the face of, like, everything's fine. Don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, I could sniff that a mile away. And I think that's the thing that people think, oh, if I just put the face on, the everything's fine face, people won't notice. But it's like they do. We can, we are animals. We can smell each other's fear. We can sort of tell things from very subtle body language. And I swear, birthing women have so, they're very, very attuned to that because they're so open, mm. so vulnerable. They can, again, uh, like so much as a little eyebrow going up, you're like, yeah, what's that? What's that? Mm. And then absolutely yeah we're, we're it's part of our toolkit it's it's part of our evolution to survive is to be able to read read the situation with more than just our eyes and our ears mm. and it's heightened in birth and in mothering of yeah. course for a reason <laughs> <laughs> What are your um? What are some of your go-to tools for getting midwives to stay in their body? Because I think if we're going to get them to feel safe, safe enough to do advocacy, activism, and speak up, I guess they need to feel safe. Well, not I guess they do need to feel safe. What are some of your go-to things that you've developed over the years? And it might not necessarily be something you're like cognizant of, but what helps you feel safe and grounded? Or what have you taught other people to do? Yeah. Well, single-pointed focus is the antidote to panic and fear. Mm. So um, you can singly-pointed focus on anything, but breath is a good one. Yeah. And that can also help you be in your body. So another thing, what you're wanting to do is to help people come back into their bodies as opposed to fly out somewhere else. So eating something really grounding, not sugar, not chocolate, not fizzy drink, but something that requires digestion will anchor you deeper in your body. And more than anything, I think that it's not necessarily the first aid in the moment, but the, the, the inner work that is required for everyone, but particularly people who are helping other people. Because again, otherwise you just bring your agenda. So I think it's really important to understand as a midwife, why you do what you do the way you do it. Mm -hmm. And to figure out what your fears are, 
what the belief you have to have to have that fear is. Do you even believe that? If you do, do you want to believe it? And to upgrade our belief systems. So the inner work is probably the, I would say, the unfortunate missing prerequisite for midwifery. Oh, and everything actually, but in terms of midwifery, because we are we have such a mega impact on the women and men and the children of the family that we interact with, that we need to we need to be being the best versions of ourselves. And the only way anyone can be the best version of themselves is to understand their inner workings. So. Step one for a midwife is to really look at her fears and her beliefs and upgrade or update her belief system and to do any healing she has. No, like do the healing she needs to do because it's not like if she needs to. Everybody's got big stories with, oh, yeah. with, with, that's the point, you know, that's part of the spiritual being having a human experience and the, the school of life, etc., is that we have these experiences that set up fears and it's, it's not like a curse in the end of the story. It's the beginning of uh, learning from these things. So, so yeah. So in terms of um, as a midwife, I think another, as I already mentioned, important thing is, is debriefing and um, with like-minded people who, uh, who would look at a situation in the way that you would want to, not, not really like people who are under the influence of gross amounts of fear, which is, you know, an unfortunate situation that that's really part of it. But the other really big thing I think is that as a midwife, what we need to do <clears throat> is that we need to be with what is happening, not what we wish was happening. Mm -hmm. yeah. So for example, um, nearly the end of the shift, um, she's pushing, and uh, somehow she realizes that the shift's finishing and, st and she starts getting um, worried that she's gonna be deserted. So, so the labor start, you know, the pushing slows down or whatever. Mm. And instead of the midwife being with what she wish was happening, so for example, that uh, she could go home or um, that her, she is affecting the woman's experience of labor because of the roster, the shift change about to happen, mm -hmm. that she needs to be with what is happening and the woman needing to feel safe again and do whatever that is instead of going into her story. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, somebody comes in with a big birth plan that um, has them wanting particular things to happen and it, you know, whatever's going on means that something else is going to need to happen. And so they need to help the woman be with what is happening, not what she wished was happening. So I think that is like such an easier thing to do. To be with what is like, you know, again, duh, but it's often not what happens.
<laughs> I think that makes sense though, because it's it's so true of the, I think a thing I hear a lot in a lot of these stories is it's a case of the subconscious going into, oh, I've seen this tree before kind of stuff. And you get the tiniest little hint of something and you're like, oh, that's going to mean X, Y, and Z. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's your brain going back into a different birth, whether it's your own, whether it's one at work or whatever. But yeah, how quickly the brain goes to like, here, oh, here's the file for that, particularly if it's an emergency type situation that then retrospectively you go, was that actually an emergency or was that someone responding to a feeling, a thought, a something that actually has nothing to do with this birth, but it's the, I've seen this tree before kind of thing. Mm, absolutely. And so that's one of the most important things that we need to be treating the mother as if she is the only woman giving birth. Yeah. And not bring all the horror stories from everything that went before or that is also happening down the hall or whatever into her space. Mm -hmm. It's, it's pollution. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think um, the contagion effect that happens as well in workplaces yeah. where, yep, someone gets whiff of, oh, this is something terrible is going to happen or, oh, I've got to go or whatever it might be. It's just like the dominoes of off mm -hmm. we go before people even realise that's what's happened. And I think when you're talking before about the debriefing, the thing I'm always trying to emphasise to people is that do you feel better after or do you feel worse? Because if you're feeling worse and it's just the sharing of hot air that doesn't go anywhere, that's not debriefing, that's actually more trauma. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Re-traumatising of the re-traumatising of the re-traumatising and then you get a thing where people say debriefing doesn't work. Therapy is a waste of time. There's no point doing any of this stuff for myself because I tried and it made me feel worse. Like, yeah, mm. to some extent, you do need to feel worse because you've got to like wade through the diarrhea kind of metaphor. But ultimately, it shouldn't make you feel ashamed, guilty, not good enough, unlovable, all those kinds of things that... Again, I suppose if we're going back to the, the childhood kind of stuff that gets brought in, that's what people will default back to. Exactly. Mm. I've created a series of questions that I um, use in a debrief, birth debrief situation, in a shadow situation, like if, in a traumatic birth. So I could share those with you and you could uh, share them with your followers to um, use as ideas to basically find the connection of the current trauma to what's gone before mm. so that they can see the link and do the healing required for the whole story, not just the current situation. Mm. Yeah, it sounds good because I'm all for people finding whatever is going to suit them. And I think sometimes that takes a few goes, particularly mm. for people who said, oh, I've tried therapy or I've tried this or I've tried that. It's like, yeah, it's not been the right thing for you or the fit hasn't been right. And I'm always mm. amazed, like really seriously amazed when people have come to me, not so much recently, but in the past, when I was still doing a lot of psychologist work and say, oh, you're the fourth person, fifth person I've seen. I'm like, geez, that was me. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back after the first attempt. So I think it really shows sometimes it's that fit. Someone has to make you feel safe. They have to get you. They have to actually, like not even just like you as a person, but really, get you 
absolutely. I mean, we, yeah, we know, we know some science behind that from Bruce Lipton, the cellular biologist, uh, that at a cell wall, the story goes that um, whatever's happening on the other side or the outside of the cell wall affects the cell wall, which affects the cell function. And there's just two, two modalities. And it's either in protection mode or growth mode. And healing happens in growth mode and nothing happens in protection mode other than protection. And we are what? I don't know how many trillion cells. So, we, you know, same, same. So if we don't feel safe, then we are in protection. And when we're in a protection mode, there's no growth. There's no healing. Mm. There's just an att- survival, protection and survival. So, you know, we already know that. So in the whole debriefing or in the um, psychotherapist or psychology situation, if a person doesn't feel safe, there's not, nothing's going to happen except potentially re-traumatizing. Yeah, and there's definitely a whole lot of that that goes on, I think, with this term of debriefing that um, I'm still not even sure I like it because it means completely different things depending on who you talk to and what's actually been done, but done properly, done in a way that's some sort of supportive connection and not like a, I've heard debriefing, um, I wonder if you have too, referred to as a situation where it's like, that wasn't actually debriefing, that was more like finger pointing and like, well, what did you do wrong in this situation and um, how are we going to avoid a legal case and that kind of thing, like that's not debriefing. That is not like even remotely what debriefing should be and yet that's often sometimes when people talk to me about, oh, I tried debriefing at work and it was, X, Y, and Z, I'm like, yeah, okay, there needs to be a big shake up there with what is actually meant by it. Not necessarily so much to regulate it, but at least have everybody on the same page of when I say this word, this is what I mean. And I wonder and, if people, you know, the conditions required for yeah, debriefing. Yeah. Even having those conversations. And again, going back to the students starting, I've not even thought or even had the assertiveness, confidence to say, well, this is what I think this word means. Is this what you think this word means? Let's see if they mesh together or are we actually following different agendas to go back to the word you were using before. Mm. And when an agenda is a, "Mm, this isn't about your safety and your support, it's really just about you're going to get into trouble. Mm. You're being disrespectful. You're not being a good little girl. (laughs) And so around we go again. Mm. So midwives are not supposed to be good girls. Mm. They're supposed to be, in my language, agents of the goddess. Mm. Supporting women to have the most gentle and kind transformation into mother or mother of two, three, four, whatever. A guide through the through the realms of transformation. Mm. Not a place for good girls. Like, what the fuck is a good girl anyway? <laughs> it's a patriarchal construct. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So you know, you're never going to be able to be a good girl as a midwife if you do your job properly. Oh, that's a soundbite I'm using. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, 
So really, I think, I don't think we've talked about this in the bit that I've recorded, but you were speaking before about this idea of we've got to get past this notion that we're going to be burnt, we're going to be drowned, whatever else they did to witches back in the day. So really, people cementing in their what is the worst that can happen and letting that yes. go. Yeah. And just to really be clear that it's a very true and real fear within midwifery mm. that we will be persecuted and not just in midwifery women carry this fear mm. because you know not that many generations ago for several hundred years in a row mm. witches were burned at the stake or drowned or thrown in dungeons and forgotten and we know that the witches included midwives, healers, mm. wise women, the men that supported them, the community members who stood up for them. So anybody who went against the religious and medical perspective at the time was un well, their life was threat under threat. And so that's um, something that many, many women carry and probably every woman if she really was able to look deeper inside. Mm. And definitely midwives and carry is the fear of persecution. And it's, it's real. But what we do know now in our modern Western world, I can't say this for everywhere in the world because this shit still happens. But midwives now in the modern Western world are not going to get burnt at the stake. So that fear can be put aside. Having said that, the modern version of burned at the stake is to have APRA investigate you. And every independent midwife, every privately practicing midwife in Australia has been or is currently under investigation. So that's what burning at the stake looks like now. And it's still a very real and life threatening situation, but it's, but we're not going to get burned at the stake. So there, there is some sort of, Oh, we can, we can let go of that fear, but not let go of um, our where, our, our wherewithal to be watching for um, persecution on different levels. That's still very much happening. You know, midwives and especially home birth is a total threat to the patriarchy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The only midwives who work in a patriarchy are the ones that do what they're told. And therein lay the deep stress and internal turmoil that goes on within us because we know we know i mean women know women mm. and we feel it and we know when when things are wrong and we must stand up to that mm. we must Small steps. Big steps? I reckon, I reckon big steps. 
Mm. Big steps. We're running out of time. Yeah. We know that how a mother is treated in labour and at birth sets up how she mothers that child. Mm. And if we want to do anything like protect the future or contribute to the future being less than dreadful, one of the best and easiest things we can do is help women become mothers so that they know they are adaptable, resilient, and have inner strength. And midwives are the ones who are going to be able to help that happen the most. And I think it needs to be our new job, job description. It needs to be our new job description. Protect the future by helping empower women through give, their giving of birth. Mm. Or else, actually. Yeah. Because I guess, what else are we doing this for? If it's not for the future, for the legacy, I definitely don't, I mean, I've got two daughters. I definitely don't want the legacy to be, well, oh, well, we tried. Oh, well, there's nothing we can do. Oh, well, nothing's going to change. I want them to say, what's this birth trauma shit you used to do? What are you talking about? Women have so much power, mm. so much power. But the problem is we've been led to believe that we don't. Now, the clue for this is that Anything about the feminine or women that is put down, made fun of, turned into a taboo or seen as dangerous and scary is a clue that it holds power. And the way to oppress women is to make them feel powerless. And that's working. Mm. So midwives are in an awesome position and situation to stop that by helping women be fully in their power and awoken to their power when they're birthing. If, that ha if every woman came out of her birthing experience going, holy moly, if I can do that, mm. regardless of what it is, yeah. you know, elective cesarean included, yeah. if I can do that, I can do anything yeah. because that's the job description for mother. Yeah. Do anything. Yeah. Everything at once. And the, the kind of women that the earth needs now are women who are resilient, adaptable, and strong. Because the future is going to need that. And that can happen at birth. Mm. And that can only happen at birth if the midwives are with women like, you know, job description with women in a way that supports them to be able to draw on their inner strength. Mm. That's a pretty good vision. It's necessary. Yeah. Otherwise, we're fucking doomed. Mm. I think Sorry that's something that people really need to take on board too. Because it's easy to get into the like, oh, well. <laughs> but I guess this is it. You get the wise women together and say, right, okay, <laughs> what needs to happen? And we stop doing the, the talking and more of the, more of the doing. Ooh. And being. Mm. We've got to be the change we want to see in the world. Yeah, that's true. So many people struggling with being. 
Well, it's all about the doing and not so much about the being. Mm. In the being is when you actually listen to your body and figure out, hmm, there's a sensation. What does that mean? What does that mean? Mm. We get out of our heads mm. and all the fears of, you know, all the terrible things that Alpha is going to do to us. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I know that midwives can do this. And I know that the situation or circumstance that will enable them to do that is a healed sisterhood. So step one is to reclaim the sisterhood, to heal the sisterhood. So the sisterhood is so wounded because of the patriarchy within and because we think we are needing to compete with each other all the time, be better than her, uh, we put her down, we talk about her, behind, you know, like that's part of the strategy of keeping women separate. Oh, it's the biggest distraction of the modern era, I reckon, because as soon as you get people to fight, I mean, it's just out of war stuff, isn't it? You get people to fight amongst themselves and then they don't notice, hey, what are all the people in charge doing? Not a lot, causing a lot of damage. Mm. Yeah, we won't be played. We won't be played. <laughs> but to not be played, you've got to realise that you're being, being played. Being played. Yeah. So that's it, you know, like women <clears throat> need to awaken. Mm. And to let go of shame. Oh, that's a and one. the big, the place where I really feel that the easiest place to do that is to let go of menstrual shame because mm. that affects everything and that is a yeah. epidemic yeah that's a that's a that's an actual thing that people could physically go away and have a physical result from if they need to actually see the physical like there's nothing more physical than that mm. okay we'll probably should let some of that sink in for people <laughs> what else do you want to plug? Is there anything else you've got coming up that you're doing that you'd like to? Well, yes. Yeah, so the School of Shamanic Womancraft offers all kinds of programs from one day workshops through to year long programs. But the other thing that's coming soon is I've created a pregnancy, the inner journey of pregnancy e-course. So mm -hmm. The idea of this is that it's um, all the work that I can offer to women who can't go to a workshop, basically. Yeah. And it's nearly ready. And I look so forward to be able to say, it's here. But <laughs> one, of the, one of the modules in it is going to be healing after traumatic birth. Oh. And that will be a standalone module or part of the uh, larger program for those who need it. And that I'm hoping will be um, available in the next couple of months. Yeah, we need more of it. We just need lots and lots and layers of, yeah. Because I think trauma affects people in all sorts of layers, in all, like every single one of your senses, every single one of your memory systems. So, yeah, I really think anything that's going to appeal to like whatever just you gravitate towards, that's what I'm hoping when people listen to these series of conversations, that 
it will just be something that you're like, I feel drawn to that. And you don't need to figure out like, well, what does it all mean and why and whatever, but people will just find what they need to find, which is more than just the go and do CBT, go and do something that's on the list that your GP will give you. And there's absolutely lots of value in doing those things. But I always come back to this thing of like, well, yeah, upwards of 40% of people don't respond to the first thing. Trauma mm. is not as like, it doesn't, just as birth doesn't fit in the medical model, neither does trauma in terms of the piece of trauma, diagnose it, cut your brain open, get it out, healed, cured, done. doesn't work like that. So I think people need to really think about this bodily sensory experience and how they're, what they're gravitating towards and trying different things. So that is so good. So good. And the other thing just to add that if um, it's really helpful, I, I believe, well, I know to, if we want to know where we're headed, we look from where we've come. So mm -hmm. I've written a, a thing called her story as opposed to his story or his story, get it? Yeah. And it's um, really a bit of a, uh, it's information about how the, pat the effect of the patriarchy on the feminine. And I think it's essential pre-reading for everybody, but particularly for women so that they can understand some of the things that they feel or fear and to know where that's come from. So I could offer that also for you to give to your uh, viewers as well. Wow. What's the basic reading level on that? How old would my daughter need to be to be able to, <laughs> I mean, she's... Uh, how old is she? Three, Three and, and a half. half. <laughs> Too little. <laughs> I've written a teenage version that um, appears in my book called Becoming a Woman, mm. a guide for girls approaching menstruation. So there's a teenage version of it, but... The her story is. Imagine, Jane. Would you do a toddler? Pardon? Would you do a toddler? version. Well, I think um, at that stage, from zero to seven, the the way children learn is through imprinting. So they're just copying you. So just be be the change you want to see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was half tongue in cheek. <laughs> but then I, I actually did catch myself going down. The, How early could we do this? How soon could we get them? Like picture books anyway that's going off on a like yeah i've created a children's book it's called mother nature's wisdom and um that teaches the cycles to um children that's a beautiful thing if you have a look on my website janehardwickcollings.com you can find all the books that i have written i've written a wonderful book i think and lots of women say it's been very helpful my book for pregnancy called 10 moons yeah. the inner journey of pregnancy preparation for natural birth and I've got lots of menstrual cycles information, like journals and handbooks on how to chart your menstrual cycle, the children's book, and um, I think some other bits and pieces, but that's a place to see. And also, as I said, the School of Shamanic Womancraft, which I founded, which is an international women's mystery school, is a place for women to do their inner work. Mm. What we need. I so need it. So thank you so much for offering so much. It's my mission. Yes. It's a good one. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.
All right. I've said it before, but I'll say it again because I think it's super powerful. Hope is a doing word. And my hope is that warm, empathic, intuitive workers will stay in birth. But we need to do something. Take a big step and work on some of the fears that you have. If you want to do that with Jane, go to janehardwickcollings.com. All of her offerings and resources mentioned will also be on my website, which is drerin.com.au. To stay in the helping and healing professions, you need to level up your self-care and support. As Jane said, if you are struggling to even do basic human 101 with sleep, nourishment, rest and so on, how are you actually going to serve anyone? You owe it to yourself and the people that you serve to make sure that your cup is running over and you're thriving. So if you're identifying with the wounded healer, you're burnt out, you're loving your work, but you're sitting here thinking, I don't know if I can go on like this, you've got some fears, you've got some shadow stuff, you're exhausted, let me help you. I've got some openings in my coaching calendar and I would love to support you. If you also want to sign up for updates on my birth trauma training course, you can also do that. So reach out to me again, drerin.com.au or at drerinbow on Instagram. Thank you so much for making time for yourself to feel uncomfortable and grow. I love it. Thank you for allowing me to speak my passions and do my soul work. Enjoy your day. Thank you.